Welcome to Adventures in Behaviour Change, the Little Challenges podcast, with me, Katie Elliott. It's a place to find ideas, inspiration and practical tools to help make the messy business of being human just a little bit easier. Join us. My guest on today's show is Charlie Gladstone, co-founder of The Good Life Experience, host of the Mavericks podcast and author of The Family Guide to the Great Outdoors. If you can hear noises in the background of our conversation, that's because Charlie and I met for coffee at Peddler's General Store in Notting Hill, one of a number of businesses he runs alongside his wife, Caroline. Charlie Gladstone, thank you so much for having a conversation with me today. It's really lovely to meet you in person. Thanks, Katie. Well, I'm used to being on the other end of this, so it feels quite weird. Um, I'm not sure I've ever done a podcast as such. You haven't done a podcast? I've not been a, I've not been a guest, I don't think. Oh. I don't think so. Well, not only am I using my new recording equipment for the first time today, but this is your first guest podcast experience, That's right. so I'm very excited. Anyway. So I'm intrigued. I think you know about me that I'm busily trying to understand how people can enjoy their lives a little bit more. So I'm curious to ask you about the good life experience but particularly to ask you what for you constitutes a good life it's it's really interesting this I've been self-employed for just about 30 years and it's been 30 years of really hard work you know I oversee 24 smallish businesses that range from about 150 grand a year turnover to about 5 million and I've got six children who are now all essentially grown up the youngest is 18 and I I work very, very hard. But I think the essence of the good life, and that's what I've had, is that I am free. I'm my own boss. And I stand or I fall on what I do. And I think this is the distinction between being self-employed and being you know, under somebody else's paycheck, is that I can choose to do what I want. So, so that, that, I think, is you know, a long-winded answer. So freedom... Freedom, the yeah. freedom to make your own choices, to, to alter the course of your life, to be nimble, the freedom even just to jump off the edge. I mean, I think my wife and I have one sort of philosophy that I think we've only just really identified as such, which is that you jump off the edge. We, we moved house when the children were very young to Scotland. We gave up our jobs. We've, we've started endless businesses and ventures and, and we've had six children and we've said, how will we afford this? How will we do this? And we jump off the edge and we kind of make it up as we go along. I wrote a book last year just for my children about my life so far. And I'm the son of a headmaster. And my dad was a headmaster at a big private school when I was born. And I was taught to swim, aged about two, by being thrown into a swimming pool. And, and I, was, I was writing this book and I suddenly thought, this is really interesting. This is kind of how I've lived my life. And I don't have any memory of that other than a kind of memory of, of the tale. But, you know, this guy, he was obviously, I think, in memory, a sort of big, bald, ex-military swimming instructor, got me and kind of like, you know, here's a little nipper, chuck him into the pool. And, and I think that that served us really, really well, that, that sense of kind of having to make it up. And I, I think that impatience is a virtue that you really need to have to be self-employed. You've got to just say, I don't want to talk about this too much. I'm just going to kind of jump off and make it up. 
<laughs> so are you someone who says yes to things before you know how you're going to be able to do them? 100%, yes. And often, of course, that puts me in, in difficult positions. And in fact, I had to say no to something, having said yes to it just the other day. But I'm very lucky. I mean, I'm very privileged. I mean, unlike you, I stuck at university. <laughs> I, you know, I went to a great university. I stuck at it. And I had the privilege before that of an amazing private education. And, and I'm not going to apologise for that. I was really, really lucky. But I think that what that gave me is, is just an enormous blank canvas in life. So I'm not saying everyone has that blank canvas, but, but I did. I went to Eton and Oxford, you know, kind of classic education. And everyone goes, oh, it's really embarrassing I went to Eton. Well, my view on it is the opposite. I think I was really, really lucky and really, really lucky to go to Oxford. And it gave me this amazing blank canvas. And so now I just feel like if someone says to me, are you interested in, in this? You know, do you want to talk about this? I just think, yeah, come on, you know, why not? Get the energy. I seem to have absolutely no fear of failure whatsoever. So when I went to Cambridge, I'd had a comprehensive school education and I was the first person in my family to go to mm. university and I didn't necessarily feel like I was the right sort of person to be there. But what I noticed was that some people, it was as if they had a sense that it was right for them to be there. And it felt a bit as though some people's earlier experience in life had left them with a, a confidence and a... I'm, I'm resisting using the word a sense of entitlement because I think that has very negative connotations and that's not what I'm trying to say. What I'm interested in is not what some people have that other people don't have and, and criticising those who do have it. What I'm interested in is how can we all have a bit more of that sense of being allowed to be where we are and say yes to possibility. In what the way what you an interesting describing. question. I mean, I often think about this. I think that and it came from my father, not from my mother, who I think was much less involved in us really my, my father's thing was just to try to allow us to find one or two things that we were passionate about and then to put to place no judgment whatsoever on what they were so I, I grew up as being passionate really principally about pop music and then about football my father had not the slightest interest in pop music I mean I think even the Beatles completely went over his head but what he said is you know when we can find that thing I'm just going to really support it <laughs> And, yeah. and I'm going to pretend I'm interested when you're talking about, you know, The Clash or, or Bob Marley that I was sort of obsessed with. So that kind of gave me, yeah, that legitimised that. And I think that it's that kind of thing of you're going to be something. So that kind of trust that within you, there was something that would blossom. There was some interest or passion yes. that, that you would follow and you would do wonderful things with it. The kind of faith yes. that no matter what that was... Yes. You had that contained within you and it was simply a question of creating the right environment that that could be found. And I think that's right. In, in many ways, I was at an enormous advantage of having an amazing education, which I think is partly why I think that the catalyst to change is education, which means that actually everyone is amazing. Just some of us get more opportunity to, to be amazing in conventional ways. And I think that my education kind of gave me permission to be so. Yeah. But I mean, you very rarely, if you talk to anyone, come across people who aren't just kind of interesting in some way. I'm certainly not here to, you know, in any way kind of, and I hadn't even thought about the notion of kind of suggesting how society might do things better. But I think as individuals, it's just to kind of understand that you know, everyone is valuable, everyone is, is, you know, as valuable a human being, whether they're the Prime Minister or the dustbin person, they're just as valuable as each other. And just to treat people in that way constant acts of sort of kindness compassion thoughtfulness 
really are life changing. And if you go into a shop and you know someone's having a bad day and you just say, "Oh, you know, how are you? Thanks so much. That's really nice." You know, you can actually change people's lives because we don't say that often enough. I mean, it's often said, I think, that praise is an oxygen for children. But very rarely do, do adults say, by the way, I think what you're doing is really amazing. And, you know, and good for you for all that you've done. Um, and that doesn't have to be because you've won the Nobel Prize. It can be because you've served someone a nice coffee or, mm-hmm. or whatever. We can be kind, we can be compassionate, we can be gentle, we can be generous. It's often seen to be a bad thing to be a people pleaser, but I can't for the life of me imagine why. I mean, occasionally it means that it's a bit hard work on you, but life's kind of hard work for all of us all the time. But I mean, I just think, I think that I would prefer a working environment or a home environment where people are fundamentally happy. And, and, and actually, we were saying before we'd started to talk on tape here, you were saying how people had told you how friendly the Good Life experience is, our festival. And actually, it is without question the, the number one thing that people say about it. And, and I'd say we are probably the friendliest festival anywhere. And we've done that entirely subconsciously. And I think that's just because we greet our guests with our eyes and we thank them for coming and we value them. You know, they, they can see that we're doing our best, even if we're not perfect, that we are actually really doing our best. And, and if there's a block blue over there, they're as likely to see one of us trying to fix it as, you know, we won't just be ignoring it. And, and I think, you know, that's again, it's just thank you for coming. Welcome. You know. I like doing that as much as I hope that it does good for other people. I'm not going around trying to kind of just be a good bloke. When you're saying you're not doing it just to be nice, you know, that there, there's a benefit. Yes. That, that you benefit from being nice. And it's a bit like I spent many, many years being extremely self-punishing on the inside. Yes. Thinking that I could treat myself appallingly whilst being a good parent, whilst being a, a good friend, whilst being, a, you know, kind to the people that I loved. I really was confused about that for the longest time and it has been such a surprise to me to come out the other side of that and discover that by putting my own needs first and doing things that previously I would have described as selfish but actually taking good care of myself there's a there's a a knock-on benefit which is that I am actually much nicer to other people and much nicer to be around and it's almost by behaving well by treating people with respect whether it's ourselves or others there's a net gain overall. I think that's right. I mean, I, th- I think actually, I mean, very interesting, and I agree. And I don't think I've been terribly good in my life at looking after myself. Um, and and there's one thing that I'll come to in a moment, which I think is is interesting. But but I, I think we have to also accept that life is full of ups and downs, and that whoever we are, however we might, um, uh, what's the word doctors use, present. However we might present, you know, all of us have got our troubles and I think if we can understand that being kind to yourself is a whole lot easier the 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 one the one real lesson that I think is for me the biggest kindness that I can have to myself is being organized I can't deal with kind of chaos around me so I'm never late for anything I never miss anything I've got lists and very rarely lose my car keys (laughs) Um, you know, I may not appear at first, but I'm super organised. And that is a massive kindness. Yeah. And, and, and I just find that, you know, t- to be tidy-ish, to have lists, to do what you say you'll do, to reply to email, 
you know, to try to keep on top of things and particularly not to lose stupid mm. things, always at the point <laughs> that you need them, um, is, is a real kindness to yourself. I'm just picking up on to do what you say you'll do. That's one I learnt late in life. Of course, there are times when we genuinely can't do things. But I talk quite a lot in the work that I do about bright line rules and, and the advantage of creating rules for ourselves about what we will and won't do, which are very clear whether you've broken them or not. Right. So, so for such example, as? So here's an example. A, a bright line rule might be that I won't write a work email after 7pm on a weekday, let's say. Yeah. Basically, it's something where you've thought about what is helpful and unhelpful for you in terms of behaviour. And then rather than relying on yourself to remember that in a moment when you might be tired or stressed or distracted and relying on willpower to execute that plan. Yes. What you do is you simply make that rule. So let's say I make the rule. I'm not going to send a work email after 7pm. I get to 7.10pm and I remember an email I should have sent well, generally speaking, if I've made that rule, then I'm going to think, well, it's 7.10, it's going to have to wait till tomorrow. Yeah. And it reduces your cognitive load because you don't have to no, constantly be making true. decisions. Yeah. Um, and I think I had allowed a lot of space for deciding whether or not I felt like something. There was a lot of leeway for me. Do right. I feel I, that I could do yes. this today? Do I feel like it? And one of the things I think I've been systematically doing during the process of recovering has been learning to be quite clear with myself about what I'm going to do and only if it's really genuinely not possible or, or not advisable yes. when it comes to it will I change my plans yes. and I've found extraordinary benefit from that yes. and I would love to have learnt that earlier But I think, I think this is you know, really interesting and, and I think the bright line is a really nice word or phrase whichever one it is but I think that this thing about doing what you say you'll do is part of your duty to the world at large. If you say you're going to follow up with an email in the next 48 hours, do it. But don't say, I'll follow up with an email in 10 minutes. But, you know, just do it. And that's kind of doing to others as you would have done mm. to yourself, which, of course, is the root of customer service. Actually, I mean... It's not one of the Ten Commandments, is it? But it's kind of a sort of religious... <laughs> do kind what of... you say you will do. No, no, do, do to others as you would like to have <laughs> oh, done to yourself. Right. Yeah. But uh, do you know what I, th- what I found the most interesting thing about it is that, I mean, sure, if you do what you say you're going to do, then then that reduces flakiness, which makes you an easier person to work with, yeah. to interact also, with, to be around. If, yeah. if someone doesn't do it. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, it's, it's good in terms of how your relationships with other people are and how they perceive you and feel about yes. and stuff with you. That's good. But I found that the greatest benefit was in terms of how I felt about myself. So when I started really consistently showing up and doing what I said I would do, even when I didn't feel like it, it had a massive impact on my self-confidence. Isn't that Because I started to yes. feel like the kind of person who could do what they said they would do, even if they didn't want to. Yes. And that was a great big shift in my thinking. Well, and on top of that, it reduced the amount of energy and effort that I was wasting because what used to happen for me was I would approach something that I found a bit daunting or maybe I wasn't sure I wanted to do maybe in some unguarded moment I'd said yes to doing something yeah and then the moment approached and it became more and more terrifying and I thought can I do it like you know giving a talk like the do lectures yeah yeah as the moment approached my fear increased and the number of times in my head the thought passed across yes. behind my eyeballs 
maybe I could just not do this. You know, it, it went through my head, but the difference is for me now and, and was for me back then that that wasn't an option. Yes. I was going to have to find a way through it, which meant that instead of spending an awful lot of time thinking, how could I get out of that yes. thing that I've said yes to that I don't really want to do, which can take, you can spend hours and days literally you know, there is there is truth in that old fridge magnet about doing something also every day that, you know, frightens Scares, you. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, there are two interesting things here. And, and I for me, I equate them both by coincidence to running. So I, I've been a, a runner all, since I was about 15 years old. And actually, the, the most difficult thing about running is getting out the front door um, or the first mile. And then the other thing is that in October of last year, I did a half marathon with four of my children and um, and one of my and my daughter's fiance and my daughter and I were the only ones who had done sort of marathons and half marathons before my elder daughter and on the morning we were in Amsterdam and, and the, the children were like oh I don't want to do it it's a nightmare I'm so and I said that's the whole point of this you know this would be a completely pointless weekend if we were all got up in the morning we were like man I can't this is so I so want to do this you know I, I I'm so looking it's going to be so easy because it wouldn't be a challenge so, you know, you've got to really drink up that I don't want to do it because that makes a reward when you have done it tenfold. And that is that thing of confidence growing in, in increments. You know, I actually really enjoy the public speaking thing. And, and actually your talk at the Do Lectures was infinitely better than my one and beautifully presented and paced. But look what it's led to. You know, you've made loads of new friends. You're now working with Do on other things. You know, you and I are are talking and I hope that we can do more things together but so if you just stayed in bed that day or stayed at home you know and don't you find that the more you learn to push through those things that that feeling of discomfort like they had prior to the half marathon or perhaps I had prior to the talk I now can see it for what it is and I I know that if I can just keep on going and come out the other side of that yes I think something much bigger that I can't So I've got something, see. yes, that's, that's very interesting this. You see, I think that I'm someone who has had an enormous kind of self-confidence for a long time and a big and a massive range of experience. But what I've identified in myself is that until not very long ago, I was very scared of trying things that I didn't think I'd be good at because I thought that would damage myself, my, my, the image that others had of myself. So I relearned how to ski when Carol and I both did, when we were about 45, sort of 55 now. And the first few days, I was laughably sort of pathetic, sort of old man kind of falling over every few <laughs> seconds. And, you know, and then, of course, within three or four days, I was going, and, and actually, I'm sure I didn't look like someone who'd done it all their life, but I was perfectly good at it within a week. But, but I realised that actually no one goes past going, yeah, look at him. No one could actually care less. And, and so... And so then I kind of embarked on a sort of thing of trying to do things that really scared me. Like I went hang gliding, although I'm terrified of that sort of thing, just to test myself. And I haven't become a hang gliding enthusiast, but I've done it. And I think it's that self-image. So, I mean, I'm, I think I'm very open. I'm very kind of sensitive. I'm very true to myself. But, but I've also got a carefully honed public image. You know, I'm vainer than most people. I, well, I don't know how vain most people are, but I'm vain. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But we've always lived in a world, I suspect, of you know, from cavemen times, of such carefully controlled image. We're so like animals. I mean, you watch, you know, 
birds kind of or stags behaving in these kind of ways and actually the you know the line between us as human beings and them is incredibly thin and short and I think in saying I'm vain what I'm not in any way pretending is that I spend hours in the front of the mirror what I'm saying is that you know we all have carefully honed self-images whatever they are and actually in relationships most people see straight beyond that yeah, yeah. And they certainly won't remember what you were wearing or what car you had. They they either see a face that they like or a face they don't like. They see a smile or they see your eyes. You know. Is it the Maya Angelou quote, the one about um, people will remember how you made them feel? Yes. There you go. So I ask everyone I chat with if they can come up with a little challenge, and a little challenge is something that takes no more than 10 minutes to do. It doesn't require any particular physical skill or ability. It doesn't cost anything, really. And it's something that could be life-enhancing in some way. So no, here's something Here's something's really simple, really rewarding. And it's not that difficult. Is light a fire outside without using any matches or a lighter or whatever. Yeah, learn yeah. how to do that. It's not that complicated, guys. <laughs> and and you'll, find, you'll find endless methods of doing it on the internet. It's generally just a friction thing. Yeah. And, and, and when you've done it, you'll think, man, that was cool. Because fire is, a, you know, fire and axes, which are two big interests of mine, are so primevally connected to us because they are, you know, two of the oldest tools known to mankind. And connecting with fire or an axe is, is, can be quite a profound experience yeah. and, and can lead to some really interesting things. And that is because we've been... We've been relating to these tools for thousands of years, and there's there's an emotional connection to them. I mean, I think you know, light a fire without a match, or chop some wood with an axe. I mean, you will be mind blown by. But be careful with the axe, because actually, people forget they're dangerous. But you know, maybe maybe chop up some kindling with a with a hatchet. It's it's really powerful, and and I think it it is it's giving us a sort of primeval connection. And that sense of ritual that automatically appears when there's fire. Yes. Well, fires are amazing things, but I'm a great advocate of making things because I'm particularly interested in, in craft for a number of reasons. But I think that the notion of flow, of being fully engaged in something, is incredibly meditatively powerful. And it isn't really distinguishable from meditation in my experience. It's, it's kind of the same thing. Sort of, so making something and making fire is really interesting. And I think... We should probably all know how to make fire, you know. I mean, lest that skill be forgotten. And, and you know, a lot of people don't even know how to make a fire given some kindling and a, and a fire lighter and some matches. So ch- chop up some kindling with an axe, but be careful, particularly of your legs. Um, and and, and try, and set, try and set a fire without matches, but don't burn anything down. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Thank you. Thank you so much. No, Charlie. my pleasure. What an interesting really conversation. <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you know someone who might enjoy today's episode, please pass it on. And if you'd like to hear more from Adventures in Behaviour Change, subscribe on iTunes. Last but not least, if you'd like to help me grow the podcast, please leave an iTunes review. Each one makes a real difference. Until next time, bye for now. Adventures in Behaviour Change is brought to you by the Little Challenges Project. To find out more, visit littlechallenges.com.